3: It is the 30-something movie podcast. It is the second week of January. We are in 1993, and I have almost the whole gang is here tonight. Dennis may be able to join us a little bit later, but not 100% sure. But I have Jeff. Jeff is joining us. How's, how are you doing, Jeff? Oh, can you guys hear me? My microphone cut out for a second.
2: Yeah, you just speared for a second, but you're back now.
3: Okay, there we go. Am I, am I still here? You oh are still God. here. Are you still here? Okay. I, I Hi, don't know. Jeff. Hi. Pinch yourself and see if you're still here. Ouch. Okay, you're still here. Bo, Bo is here. Yo. Yo. Surrounded by the, that was Rings of Power, right? The background? You've got? Yes. Okay.
2: Numenor, to be exact.
3: There we go. God bless you. And Thank then you. also Patrick. Patrick, who is, just told us moments ago that he now has a cat that could pull off a reenactment of Die diehard.
0: Oh yeah. Nice. Yeah. Cause the, cause the cat has a best friend and they fight and grapple and run around and all that. And to escape, he, he jumps up into the ceiling, which is very exciting.
3: Nice. Does he take his shoes off and just kind of like paw at the carpet a little bit? I hear that's very soon. Well, it,
0: yeah, that is one thing that, as I'm sure the cat owners in the pod can explain, that is what cats do. So it's kind of funny that you mention that.
3: Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, as I said before, we are in the second week of January of 2023, but our year is 1993. So we last week, we had our epic episode on Jurassic Park to kick off the year. For our second episode of the year, we have got the 1993 movie Matinee, starring John Goodman. So that's the one we're going to be talking about tonight. Very quickly, we spoil the movies that we talk about, so this is your warning. And if you have not yet, visit our website, 30podcast.com, 30wordpodcast.com. You can leave ratings, a voicemail. You could become a co-executive producer via Patreon on there, where you get all kinds of extra bonus episodes if you head on over there and join us that way. All right. We're just going to dive right on into it for this one. So as I said before, our movie is matinee before I jump into the uh, trivia pursuits section here and start giving a little bit of trivia. I'm just going to ask really, really quickly. We can talk a little bit more in depth later, but is this the first time you guys had seen this movie? Yes.
0: Yes. First time for me.
2: First time for me too. I had seen it before, but
4: after watching it this time, I was reminded as to why I hadn't seen it in a very, very long time.
3: (laughs) Oh. oh, okay. All then.
0: <laughs> because it was so awesome. You didn't like need to. That's
4: one approach that one could take to understanding that, but that would not be my approach. Okay.
3: <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh. Well, the title of this one, as we've said, is matinee. It came out on the 29th of January, 1993. So we're almost 30 years to the day rated PG runtime of one hour, 39 minutes directed and written by Joe Dante who did The Gremlins, The Howling, Explorers, and Inner Space. Producer for this one was Michael Finnell, who did Gremlins and the Burbs. Music was done by Jerry Goldsmith, who did Star Trek The Motion Picture and Alien. Cinematography was done by David H. Vanghaus Jr., who did Gremlins and the Burbs. Editor was Mark Goldblatt, who did T2 Judgment Day and True Lies, Budget for this one was $13 million, Box office was $9.5 Flick Flickmetrics gives it a 71%, and CinemaScore gives it a B-. minus. Starring John Goodman as Lawrence Woolsey. He was in The Big Lebowski and Monsters, Inc. Kathy Moriarty played Ruth Corday. She was in Raging Bull and Analyze This. Simon Fenton played Gene Loomis. He was in The Borrowers. Lisa Jacob played Rachel Loomis. She was in Independence Day. Kelly Martin played Sherry Fenton. She was in Beethoven and Life Goes On. Robert Picardo played Mr. Elvin Kitt. He was in Inner Space and Star Trek Voyager. John Sayles played Mr. Doherty. He was in Lone Star and Brother from Another Planet. Omri Katz played Bob Matthews. He was in Erie, Indiana and Hocus Pocus. Jesse White played Mr. Pickett. He was in The Music Man. And Karen Lynn Gorney played Dottie West. She was in Saturday Night Fever and The Taking of Pelham 123. All right, a couple of quick trivia items before we get on into the movie proper. So Joe Joe Dante did quite a bit of work before he got going in the, the film industry as a director and writer. He was a film critic for a magazine called Castle of Frankenstein which was published from it was published under a different name. I think it was called Journal of Frankenstein in 1959 and then it came back in 1962 as Castle of Frankenstein and then it went on until about 1975-1976. He wrote some little mini movie reviews in that magazine. When you see later in this movie a bunch of you know sci-fi horror movie magazines that Gene has kind of spread across his bedroom, it was one of those. It was one of those that you see as like a classic sci-fi horror movie magazine that would have come out in the 1950s, 1960s, kind of around this time. So He obviously also is well known for his time as a director in which he did, like I said, Gremlins, Explorers, Inner Space, The Burbs, and all those. Woolsey, his kind of low-budget mant movie, is a parody that kind of cannibalizes a bunch of other, I use the word cannibalize on purpose there, cannibalizes a bunch of other old horror movies like Tarantula from 1955, The Beast with a Million Eyes, The Deadly Mantis, Them, The Black Scorpion monster that challenged the world there's a ton of these old movies and you know we, we kind of talked about these I think further back on an older episode of the show we talked about some of these old monster movies kind of like the fly and know we, we did the fly as one of our very earliest episodes all the way back when we first started but it's kind of like a it, it really plays on all of those tropes of those kind of old 1950s monster movies and I I'll, I'm just throwing a little opinion here real fast. I would love to see the full movie of MANT. Like if somebody wanted to put out the Mm -hmm. full movie, I totally would watch the full movie of MANT because I think it would be hilarious.
0: Yeah, I I would agree with that. The name itself is hilarious.
3: Oh, yeah. Well, and the whole, use of, uh, the whole use of the, like, uh, Rumble Rama and everything else, and I'll talk a little bit more about this later, too, is kind of a take on William Castle, who, if you're familiar with any of William Castle's work, he did movies like Macabre and, oh, what else, Homicidal was another one, and he was kind of, like I said, I'll, I'll go into it a little bit more later, but that was really him. Like, he would actually go into theaters, and he would rig up the seats, you know, so that they would buzz at certain times. So he was really all about kind of movie gimmicks and everything else. So really, Woolsey's character is a take on William Castle, who was kind of well-known for this stuff in the 50s and 60s. Let's see, a couple other things, too. Matinee, even though it's supposed to be set in October of 1962, the other fake movie that's in this is the shook-up shopping cart, where you have the—I think it was her uncle had become a shopping cart— so this is kind of along the lines of some other movies that I think were mostly done by Disney. You know, things like The Shaggy Dog and The Love Bug, Monkeys Go Home, Horse in the Gray Flannel Suit. Like, you have all these different movies in which things are anthropomorphized. Let's try saying that again. Anthropomorphized? sized. Mm-hmm. In which things are sized. There you go. In order to make things that are not mm-hmm. alive. Appear alive. Oh, what else have I got here, trivia wise? So, Woolsey, I, it, I had to stop myself for a second. Woolsey does mention in the movie that he was born in Hatfield, Missouri, which made me pause for a moment because, as I've mentioned before on our show, my dad actually went to the same college at the same time as John Goodman. So, saw him regularly, saw some of the plays that he was in when he was in college at southwest missouri state in springfield missouri and i know that john goodman was born in missouri and so when he said hatfield i was like oh is that the same town that john goodman was actually born in not just his character he was actually born in afton missouri which are on completely different sides of the state from each other but wanted to check that real quick just to just to see if he had thrown that little little nugget in there what else Ah, some of the other stuff, trivia wise, I've got here is, is a little bit more about that William Castle and kind of some of the stuff he did with movies in the 50s. So I will talk about that stuff here in just a little bit. Let me do a synopsis for us. I'll do the trailer and then we'll come back and we'll talk about some of the major moments. We'll run through the, we'll do a rundown of the quick plot of the movie real fast and then we'll kind of get into our thoughts on this. In the early 1960s, the world was a different place. But one thing remained the same the love of a good movie. And nobody knew that better than Lawrence Woolsey, the king of the B-movie. When Woolsey's latest epic, Mant, comes to town, young Gene Loomis can't wait to see it. But, with the threat of nuclear war hanging over their heads, will Gene and his friends even get the chance to see Woolsey's masterpiece? Find out in Matinee, the hilarious and heartwarming comedy from the mind of Joe Dante, starring John Goodman, Kathy Moriarty, and Simon Fenton. Get ready for the show of a lifetime.
1: How could such a thing happen, Dr. Cabell? The ant's saliva must have gotten into Bill's bloodstream and gone straight to his brain
0: just as the radiation, which is measured in units called Renkin's, was released.
4: And that's how he became a...
0: Mant.
3: Ah! Gotcha.
1: For the kids of Key West, Florida, there was nothing scarier than a monster matinee.
3: Lawrence Wolsey, the master of movie horror,
1: exterminates you with Matt! The story of Matt is based on scientific fact, on theories that have appeared in national magazines. But in the fall of 1962...
0: A series of offensive missile sites is now in preparation on the island of Cuba. They got the biggest scare of all. Are they the country is on red alert. And what a
1: perfect time to open a new horror movie. That'd be the best show to take a girl
0: to. The whole world's gonna blow up anyway,
2: so we should just do whatever we want. You
1: know the last guy she went out was in a farm school?
2: She did teach me a lot.
1: What about? About my body. Think of the bomb we're about to fall, she'd do it with me. <laughs> Wait till you see the feelers on this thing. Uno, dos, one, two, tres, Some of it's stage lighting, some of it's magic show stuff. But the big studios, none of them have anything like it. Look out! Behind you! Do never, ever turn one above six. This is it! From Joe Dante, director of Gremlins. You see what he's putting back? The showmanship. The bombs are falling! You think this is some kind of picnic for me? I'm still concerned about that bomb thing. little question of taste? No, no, but your younger patrons you could have some seat wetness. John Goodman. I love this business. Matinee.
4: Man, I've seen this twice.
3: All right. <laughs> so, very, very quickly, the major moments in this one. Major moment one, setting the scene. We are in Key West. As far back as I can remember, not a lot of movies taking place in Key West. But obviously the setting for this is fairly important to the movie overall because we do find out that this is right as we're stepping into the Cuban Missile Crisis. So that is a big part of the the overall environment of this movie. We do find out early on, too, that our two main characters, or, or two of our main characters, are going to be these brothers. You know, Gene is the older brother. He's very much into movies, takes his younger brother to the movies, loves to give him a good scare. While they are at one of the movies, they see a trailer, a feature for an upcoming movie, Man, And very uh, Woolsey is very Hitchcockian. In his presentation, when they show him with kind of the shadowy outline at William Castle, as I already mentioned before, too, was known for doing that as well. I think kind of sitting with a, a cigar and a little bit of a, a silhouette or an outline of himself. And he would show up a lot of times in the trailers of his movies, and even in the beginning of the movie itself, warning the audience about what they were about to see. And I've actually got some funny examples of ways that the real-life William Castle did that with some of his movies. And obviously John Goodman's character emulating that here. So we get the idea that this mant is coming and obviously some people not happy about it. They think that it's terrible that you would try to terrorize young children and and what is that teaching the children and, and why are you corrupting them in this way? Which kind of leads into some of the scenes where we have Dick Miller and I'm calling this moment Dick Miller protests because I feel like every movie I see Dick Miller in, he's protesting something. Whether it's not an American-made car or whatever the case might be, he's always protesting something. So we have a little portion here where Dick Miller does some protesting. We do find out fairly quickly that he is a plant that has been sent there by Woolsey to kind of stir up some controversy around this movie and, and you know get more people to show up for it. Moment number four I'm calling Love and Bombs Are in the Air. So this is where we kind of set up some of the relationships that are going to be building over the course of the movie. We have Gene and Sandra, who he kind of meets by seeing her in the hallway where they're doing their duck and cover drill. And she is basically telling everybody, look, this is useless. Like if a bomb drops, you really think duck and cover is going to save your life. And he is kind of attracted to her rebellious nature, I think a little bit, and you know, he kind of immediately smitten with her, so they will end up talking to each other a little bit later. And then you've got Stan and Sherry, who Sherry has up until recently been dating Harvey, the prisoner slash poet, who just got a I think just got out of juvie, but he's really wanting to be a a, a poet and so he shares his somewhat questionable poetry from time to time. But that's who she had just been dating, but now she is going to be going out with Stan, and that is another relationship that we'll kind of build a little bit as we go on through the movie. We have some scenes where Woolsey is there with with his lady friend. I'm blanking out right now on what her name was. Ruth Corday was her name, and he's there with her, and they are kind of retrofitting these movie theaters. Gene kind of stumbles upon a little bit of a secret. He finds out that... Dick Miller's character was really an actor by going through some of his movie magazines. He's like, well, he he was an actor in one of Woolsey's movies. So that's weird that he would be protesting it, which ultimately kind of gets him a little bit of an in with and kind of gets him a job as Woolsey's gopher, for for lack of a better term. And so he's there to kind of help out. He's watching as they're fixing up all the seats in the movie theater and, and upgrading them so that they can install the Rumble Rama feature that's going to be coming along with the movie. As the movie gets going, as things are kind of, you know, running through their their paces as they start the movie off, in the meantime Woolsey has hired Harvey, Sherry's former boyfriend and the delinquent to be the guy in the mant costume that's going to jump out and scare people in the movie theater. Unfortunately, because Harvey is maybe only good at poetry, question mark, he's not so great at manning the machines in the back and sets them too high. He also gets a little bit enraged when he sees Stan and Sherry making out in the movie theater and basically starts a fight with him. In the meantime, while all this is going on, the machinery is set way too high, and that ends up causing the rumble seats to and a rumble more than they should, which in turn scares some people into believing that the bombs are already dropping. We have Robert Picardo's character is in his fallout shelter in the theater and, and is convinced that the bombs are dropping because of the rumbling of the theater. Which kind of sets in motion a, a couple of other things that are happening there towards the end of the movie, where the, a couple of the kids, Gene and Sandra, get locked into the fallout shelter and and believe that maybe they are the last two humans on Earth. And yeah, and and so then we just have some different antics where everybody's kind of running around trying to convince everybody, nope, the bombs are not falling, it's all going to be okay, and they're trying to get the kids out of there. And then we have to evacuate the movie theater. The movie theater literally starts literally bringing down the house. And have some scenes in there where they have to rescue the younger brother and, and so on. Movie comes to an end with Cuba, Cuban Missile, Missile Crisis has come to an end. Gene's father is going to be coming back and everybody is kind of like, as, as they've talked about through the rest of the movie, you go through, you get a good scare, but it's all so that when you come out on the other side, you kind of appreciate what you've been through and you can kind of catch your breath before the next scary thing comes along. So that is... That is pretty much where we end the movie. We see some jets flying by. We see some Navy helicopters going by. And that is how the movie closes. So, Are there any other major moments that we wanted to hit before we jump into our deeper thoughts?
2: I think that's that it. covers it. I mean, cover most yeah, of that w-
3: that was about, that's about it. All right. It's time to get a little bit deeper here.
1: And now... Deep thoughts. I have an opinion on this matter. Don't mince words, Bones. What do you really think? I like it a lot. Wow, it's very
3: deep. Thank you. All right, deep thoughts. All right, first question. Let's just get this one right out the ba- right out of the gate here. Did you like this
2: movie? It was fine. Yeah, nothing special, but I didn't hate it, so okay.
4: I wouldn't say that I hated it, but I wouldn't say that I really liked it either. Okay. Like I don't I, I I don't feel ill will towards this movie. I just don't think it was well done and I'm not gonna run out and
3: watch it again. Okay. Patrick, what about Patrick?
0: you? I liked it. I thought it was fun. I, I, yeah. That's that's all I got. I laughed. I, I, I laughed. I cried. It was an emotional roller coaster. I had I had fun with this. I didn't really know anything about it, but uh, yeah, it it worked for me.
3: I like this one because we we saw this obviously because John Goodman was in it. And my dad would like watch everything that John Goodman was in when it came out. So I, I liked it. But I mean I didn't know that at the time and that wasn't my focus or reason for enjoying the movie. But I did grow up watching a bunch of these old monster movies with my dad, and so I think that was kind of getting to see a little bit of a like a, a making of these movies or or how some of this business side of things was done. You know, for I see when this came out, I would have been about I would have been about twelve, you know. So for a twelve year old, I've got a question for us later in our three questions that is what what movie kind of made you fall in love with the whole idea of filmmaking? And I won't say this is the one that really did it, but this I, this probably was a starting point for like me really enjoying and appreciating the making of movies and the advertising of movies and everything that goes into that. I think this movie was probably what started to pique my interest and then a little bit later on there would have been some other movies that kind of really got me hooked on it. So for that reason... I don't I had not seen this movie in probably almost 25 plus years. Watched it a couple of times when it at least once when it came out and then probably a couple times after that. So I did enjoy this movie as a kid. I enjoyed watching it again, watched it with the family, I think everybody enjoyed it, you know. Is is it is it Mount Rushmore quality movie? No, probably not. It's it's not going to be like in my top 5 or top 10 list. But yeah, I think overall it was a it was a fun movie and you know it's it's got it's uh, it's got its problems and its issues but kind of a, a fun little look at a little snapshot of what was going on and and with the backdrop of the cuban missile crisis i thought that was kind of a fun way to to frame all that but mm-hmm. um i'm going to jump right into jeff had kind of posed a question via text message a few days ago and sorry kind of, i didn't mean to no 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 that's that's but totally
4: but it won't won't happen again
3: no keep doing it Totally fine, because that I was kind of thinking about that, and I, like I said, I I offered an answer over text, and I'm like, I don't know that I have a better answer than that, but we'll just throw it out to the group here. Do you think, in this particular film, was the character of Woolsey being manipulative or opportunistic? And Jeff, if you want to reword that, or if you want to add any additional context or anything, go right ahead.
4: Well, I think the wording I used was exploitative, or opportunistic? Was he just trying to exploit people's fears of the Cuban Missile Crisis for his own gain, or was he using that to his advantage and taking advantage of that opportunity that people are already kind of on edge, so why not really use that momentum just to help give them a different experience at the theater? Or... Are the two ideologies too similar to make a distinction there? No. So I'll put that out there for the the rest of you scholars to discuss.
2: I think I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, obviously he already had the movie and the trip to QS planned before the Cuban Missile Crisis hit. But then I feel like once it does hit he has decided, well, this is a thing. Like, I can take advantage of everybody being scared. And that might be when his hype machine kicks into high gear and he starts to drum up the controversy. Like, that's the question, right? Would he have done all of these same things if there was no Cuban Missile Crisis? He was already going to do RumbleVision, so that wasn't a change. But maybe the hype machine was? But so so much of this had to be planned before the what is it? 13 days of the Cuban missile crisis that I just don't know how much of it could have been too pre-planned, you know?
3: Yeah. Pat, what did you think?
0: I, I went back and forth on this, you know, I, I think I'm just going to, I'm I think I'm going to, I'm going to take a little bit of what everybody said. Like I, I, I think, I think he just used his his times, the times that surrounded him, and he was trying to entertain the people and make a buck along the way. But he, the guy's got to eat somehow. So I didn't, I didn't see him as like this nefarious bad guy or something like that. I, I think he was just a, he was just a guy doing a job.
3: Yeah, I think the original answer that I gave to this was something along the lines of yes I think that he's I, I think he's both like I think there's a there's a thin line between exploitative and opportunistic and I think that he is at moments he is like alright well I gotta do what I can to, to sell tickets here and anything I like nothing's mm-hmm. off the table whatever I can do to sell tickets I'm gonna sell tickets Whatever I can do to scare people, I'm going to scare people. I'm going to use every gimmick I can possibly, everything to my advantage. I will I, I will add buzzers to the seats. I'll put somebody in a Halloween costume. I'll put a nurse out front to let people know, think that there's going to be, like, health hazards if they go see this movie. I'm going to have people protesting in the streets. I would love it if people got into fights over this movie, you know, so that, that kind of manipulative exploitation side of things is definitely part of his personality. I think it's part and parcel with his whole take as a person that, well, I I'm a businessman. I'm a, I'm a showman. I got to do what I got to do. And nothing's off the table on the flip side of that. Is he just opportunistic? Yes. I think he totally, I think it worked out perfectly for him that it just so happened that there was this Cuban missile crisis that is going on at the same time. And, He's like, God, how could, how could this have happened any better? Like, this is perfect, perfect timing for this because people are already on edge. But at the same time, I don't know that I see him as being a – I'm trying to think what word I want to use. I don't see that as, as like, antagonistic behavior because I look at him as being – and he, he does through kind of his own admission. He's like, look, scaring people is good. Like, it's actually healthy for people to be scared. Everybody needs a little bit of a scare. It's better to scare people in here in the movie theater rather than have them be thinking about all the stuff that's going on outside. And I genuinely think, we can argue, though, the merits of that logic to begin with, but I think he genuinely thinks that he's doing a public service by scaring people in whatever way he can in a safe environment. So I think he's a little bit of both. I would I would say that, yes, he is exploiting the situation. He's a, he's a businessman, and, and maybe some of it is unscrupulous. But at the same time, I think there's also a portion of him that at least half the time, or three-quarters of the time maybe, he thinks that what he's doing is a public service, and he thinks he's doing what's in the best interest of his viewers. So I think that's where I would take that.
4: Yeah, the more I thought about it, it was <clears> – <throat> It just comes down to your point of view, right? Yeah. I mean, essentially exploitative or opportunistic, it's the same idea. It just depends on what side of the argument you want to be on.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: So it's not like it's 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 looking at two different character traits. It's the same trait defined by, by two different words. Again, just based on how you're looking at it. Mm-hmm. If you were if if you were to ask him, I'd say that Wolsey believes he's one hundred percent opportunistic. Yeah. He's seizing the opportunity. He's not out to exploit people's fears, or he's not going to verbally come out and say, I'm just trying to exploit these people, get their money, I move on. He would argue, I'm seizing the opportunity I have here to do the thing I love doing. So I don't know. It was just it was Once that question popped into my mind as I was watching this the other day, I was just like, huh, interesting. Where is he on a, I guess, a morality or ethical type scale?
0: Well, and I think, I think it helps inform my opinion is that how does the movie think of him? And I think the movie thinks of him as one of the leads. I don't know if they've never necessarily referred to him as like, think of him as like a hero, but he's definitely not painted to be the villain by the movie. Right? So he befriends the kid and everything, everything that's like that could be construed as I'm forgetting the word you used the, the, ba- the, the, the evil version of opportunistic. Exploitative. Exploitative. Thank you. I, you know, the movie doesn't paint him that way that I think, and I, I don't even know. I don't even see like your question is a really good one, but I don't know if the movie's meant to interrogate that. Do you get what I'm saying? Like, you get a little I bit do. of it.
4: I do get what I you're mean, saying. And
0: and, and and I mean, you get a little bit of that when, those, when the two guys show up that are like protesting him, but then you find out that they're plants that he put out there. So there really is no, like the movie, the purpose of the movie isn't to question Woolsey's morality and all that kind of thing. So I think that helps because they're painting him in a good light. you know what I'm saying?
4: I do. And you know, I'm I'm glad you brought up the the comment of what does the movie say about him? Because this is where I struggle with this movie, is okay. I feel like the movie itself over overcomplicated itself by having too many things to focus on. Mm-hmm. Right? I, if they wanted to use the Cuban Missile Crisis as the backdrop for this movie, then I feel like they they should have done more to explain the effect of that crisis and why going to movies in general was so necessary for American people. And then talk about the thrill of this particular movie experience. I just feel like this movie mentioned a couple of things and worked with a couple of things, but never really got into anything. And, you know, just a focus a lot on, you know, the kid struggling with his dad being on one of the warships or was he struggling with his dad being on one of the warships because he never really talked about it, but other people kept pointing it out and he was just kind of going along with it and kind of used it to his advantage when he was with the girl. Oh, well my dad's, my dad's out there. Like, but I I felt like it, it just, this movie touched on ideas, but never really got into anything Like, is this, what, what were you trying to say about the Cuban Missile Crisis? What were you trying to say about the American people? What were you trying to say about these relationships between these people? You know, what was it doing to the American family when you have a dad away and you have a mom and these two kids trying to figure out how to go forward? Why, why introduce that scene of the mom watching home movies and having an emotional breakdown and then do nothing with it. You know, it ju- it just kept hinting at things. You know, why have the the one girl's ex boyfriend be such a a big figure in this movie? Who gives a crap about him at this point? If you want me to be thinking about the effect of this movie, if you, the effect of MANT mm-hmm. on this little this little theater in Key West why am I focusing so much on the, the ex-boyfriend? Why am I focusing so much on the, uh, the theater manager? They just kept on introducing different ideas and different ideas, but never really developing them anywhere to any point of
0: interest for me. Uh, Yeah. And, and I I hear you. And I think if the movie was just kind of intended to be like a lighthearted romp, right? Through the through the B movie, almost sort of like Back to the Beach was an ode to the beach movies, yeah. right? This this movie is kind of kind of a an ode to the B movies, and if they kind of,
4: but then I felt like they pushed too hard into the whole Cuban Missile Crisis part
0: of it. Well, well, yeah, there were some serious scenes, like when the kid had the nightmare with the nuclear bomb going off, and then the ending sequence was really interesting. How it just kind of focused in on the helicopter. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah. And it was sort of, like, I, it, why, why, why did they do that? Like, I'm, I'm just curious. Why did they end with the helicopter coming in for a landing or I don't know, not coming in for a landing. I think a helicopter was just kind of coming up towards the camera. Why did they end with that? And why did they stick? Why did they push into the helicopter? Why did they, they have the helicopter fly to the camera for as long as they did. I don't know. What was it like? So, 30 seconds. They had. So we're
3: probably going to need Rob Perry to write or call in and tell us, About this one, there was something that I read, and I I can't, I'm not an expert on this at all, so I could be getting this wrong. So Rob, if you're listening to this, please help us out here. I did read something somewhere that the helicopter at the end of the movie was one that was primarily used in the Vietnam era. And so the, that's right after, the, right after Woolsey and his, I guess, now fiance are having their conversation in the car about, well, the reason I do what I do is because people are going to get scared and then they're going to be okay and they're going to realize they're okay. And it just, it kind of prepares them for the next time that they're going to get scared again. And so my understanding of this was that the reason that helicopter went in there was kind of a, a foreshadowing of, okay, we got through the Cuban Missile Crisis. What's the next big thing on the horizon? It's Vietnam. I-
0: I was wondering if that just and even which the is why they spent got... so
3: long on it, because otherwise, it's like, why are you taking so long on this one shot of this one helicopter that that doesn't seem it seems weird. And then when I read like, OK, well, that makes sense.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah, I just I don't feel like this movie then focused enough on the fact that it was a and, you know, an homage to the idea of all these campy B movies. Right, like you made the comparison to Back to the Beach and what that was really doing with the idea of beach movies of a certain time period. If this movie is supposed to be doing the same thing, but about these B-horror films, I don't think there was enough focus on that. And yet there was so much more focus being paid to the Cuban Missile Crisis. And more the effect of the Cuban Missile Crisis on this community more so than this horror movie. So again, I just, I I just I feel like it touched on a lot of things but didn't really get
3: into much of anything. I I'll agree with that that I think it it did have it maybe tried to overreach in certain areas. The, I mean the one I think especially when I watched this as a kid and even watching it again now, I. I did like the degree to which it was kind of paying tribute to the old B-movie horror films of the 50s. Like that part, the kid with all the magazines at home, and he knows the actors, and he knows the directors, and, and he's the one that figures it because he's such a fan of movies, he's the one that figures out, hey, wait a minute, that guy's not really a protester, that was an actor that was in one of these other movies. And kind of that, I, I almost feel like it's a little bit of, of a of a love letter to the diehard movie fan who was that much of a movie fan before there was the internet. Like, you got yeah. all the magazines, you got all this. And that was, I think that's where both as a kid and as an adult watching this, I kind of took it as a, it's a lighthearted love to those kind of move those diehard movie fans but yes i agree with you that it did there were certain pieces that kind of like it started out on this one branch but it didn't it didn't follow through with it necessarily but yeah i i and all the little like hints and easter eggs and things like that related to these old horror movies from the 50s like that was for me that was kind of my you know that was my point where I got hooked uh, on this movie. And again, not, not saying that it's like my favorite movie of all time, but that's why I think I really enjoyed this was because I just felt like I could sit back and just be like, yep, this is, I, this is some of the reasons why I love these movies too. And this is just kind of like a, a fun little fun little romp through <laughs> B-horror movies. I did want to ask you guys, related to the idea, because I, w- I wanted to kind of take, because they're, they're using this movie with the backdrop of the Cuban Missile Crisis and the idea of how much fear and paranoia was going on at that time, I was going to ask you if you felt like his approach to making the scary movies during this time of, of heightened fear and paranoia was in bad taste, or if you thought that that was something that's okay to do. Because I, it made me think about something. I was like, did we actually get any movies? I know there's a ton of them that came out before, but when the pandemic hit, all of a sudden, it's like, we're not getting any more movies about deadly viruses. And we're not getting a bunch of zombie movies anymore. And maybe people are just thinking, wow, it's it's in bad taste to do those kind of movies right now because of what's going on in the world. I almost feel like somebody like Woolsey would have been like, oh, global pandemic? Sign me up. Have I got a movie for you? I don't know. What do you guys think? Do you think that it was in bad taste for him to use a world event like this to hype his movies and would it have been in bad taste for somebody to do that recently with the, with the idea of like a a global pandemic movie?
4: Well, I think for him in particular already said that he's opportunistic, right? So if not Cuban missile crisis, it would have been something else that he would have leaned in on to help his own cause. Yeah. So I don't think that, Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't think it changes anything. Yeah, it's just who it's it's how he decides to run his business. Yeah, you know, it's going to be whatever, what whatever he has to lean on to help help him further what he wants to do. That's what he that, that's what he's going to do.
3: Yeah. Is it? You know, so, I don't yeah. know that. Uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead.
2: I don't know that a horror movie juxtaposed with the Cuban Missile Crisis is necessarily the same as a virus movie in the midst of a pandemic. I think the virus movie in the midst of a pandemic might be a little too close.
3: Yeah. Too soon. Uh,
2: but the interesting thing would be to find out were any movies shelved and not released during that time? I know I haven't heard of any. Goes back to what I said earlier, you know, these movies are shot, B movies aren't shot that far in advance, but some of them are, you know, and he had to come up with all this marketing stuff long before the Cuban Missile Crisis hit. So you do start to wonder how much of it is just random, you know, the Cuban Missile Crisis was only 13 days. The pandemic was a year and a half to two years, depending on how you, you know, how you calendar it. So there is definitely some, some difference in there. You're probably not making any pandemic movies during the pandemic, but if you had one in your hands, ready to release July of 2020, do you sit on it? Yeah, maybe. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But a general horror movie with a zombie in it, maybe not, you know?
4: Well, to really pull back the layers on that question too, like, our world functions so much more differently now than it did back then, mm-hmm. right? There, I mean, you. you I hate to I hate to even bring it up, but you have to consider the idea of cancel culture. And if someone, it would be a lot more detrimental for someone to risk releasing a movie about a pandemic or a virus or something of that nature during a pandemic now than capitalizing on the fear of the Cuban Missile Crisis. Mm -hmm. The, the, The risk would be much greater in 2020, 2021,
1: 2022.
2: That is a good point.
4: And I don't think that the, the considerations that go into it now are or were ever discussed back then. I mean, I, I wasn't there. We'd have to ask Dennis what the conversations were back then, but yeah, I just, I I don't, I don't know how sitting around a a, a table now in an office building in a studio where people are discussing releasing a film that somebody doesn't bring up the idea of what's this going to do to us. What, what is the backlash going to be? Because we know everything creates backlash now everything is going to have backlash somehow in some way. So that question has to be asked now, whereas that question wouldn't have been asked or seriously considered. If it was asked, it wouldn't have been seriously considered, I don't think, during the Cuban Missile Crisis.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and and I think um, I hear what everyone's saying. And maybe just to add another wrinkle to it is i think now yeah in one sense there is the cancel culture piece but i think also we're also attuned to the idea that actions have consequences right and so i think how are you making the movie you, you know, what, what's the message that's that's going on out there and obviously comedy is a very hard thing right like sometimes comedy hits sometimes comedy falls on its face but think of, I think of the movies that we review and let's say the way that the military is portrayed, right? Like during the Vietnam War, during the Second World War, during the Korean War, you really would, what, the most of the movies that you see were things like John Wayne movies or The Enemy Below or something like that. You really I don't think would get a movie like platoon or born on the 4th of July made in the 1960s. Right. Now they're both war movies, but like it's how are those things, how are, how will the, how, what are those movies saying? Right. And I think that's the piece is that the actions, your words, how you say things, what your message is, there's consequences to that. And, platoon and born on the 4th of july born on the 4th of july is a pretty controversial movie when it came out right like platoon was something that was wow that's really eye-opening because everything before that it was different saving private ryan i i might be wrong but i think that was one of the first world war IIs that was portrayed in in a little bit more of a, a realistic or grittier sense right where hey it wasn't all just off we go marching down the trail singing songs kind of thing. Whereas maybe some of the early movies, earlier movies did that. You know, I know that we've talked about like, you know, some of the movies made just a couple years before like the time period that we're talking about where the military guys in there are always kind of being portrayed like the abyss. The military guys are the ones that go crazy when we gotta, we gotta handle them. And, and, you know, you're kind of afraid of the military guys. And I think movies that were, that came out during the war in Afghanistan and the war in Iraq within the last 10, 15, 20 years portray the military in light. Right. I'm I'm just saying like, I don't know if like in today's day and age, if, if would a movie like stripes, which is hilarious, but if it came out when we're in the middle or we're in the middle of wars, how would that fall? I mean, you know what I'm saying? And so I like. I hear what you're saying. Cause yeah, I'm sure that the cancel culture and like, Hey, who's going to be offended? You know, are we, that's one side of it. The other side is, I think you, you got to watch your background. You got to know what you're saying and what your message is. And it's like, well, if we have a, if we have a message here that we feel is important to come across, then, then we'll put it out there. But I think you're just I guess I'm saying the same thing, but maybe just in a different way, or maybe I'm not saying the same thing. I don't know, but I think that it's it's just you can make a movie about a topic, but what are you saying about that topic? If that mm-hmm. if yeah. that clarifies it at all, it kind of made how me think you're of, talking about that topic.
3: Yeah, it kind of made me think of did you guys any of you guys watch the movie Don't Look Up that kind of came out in the middle of the pandemic? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 kind of made me think of that one a little bit because that was kind of like a it's it's definitely a commentary on kind of the political landscape at the time and you know the the whole idea of people protesting or arguing against things to one side seems very very obvious and to another side seems completely ridiculous and made me think of a little bit of that that movie which. Obviously, it's not about a pandemic, but about a, a meteor that's going to strike the Earth and kill everyone. So we're we're kind of on similar lines to what what was going on in the world at the time, although not quite the same as a Armageddon level meteor hitting the Earth. And we didn't send Ben Ben Affleck up to stop it, so that's why that one didn't work. Yeah, no, I I think you know it just kind of makes me think of other examples of where people were commenting on a particular situation and and using. Kind of the way in which this tries to use the Cuban Missile Crisis and B-horror movies to talk about fear and paranoia. It makes me think of things like Animal Farm commenting on the political situation and, you know, a lot of those other different novels, like 84 and stuff like that. But, yeah, I, I think, Jeff, to your point, one of the things that I really wish the movie had focused even a little bit more on, and I think it would have been a really good way to touch on the idea of the fear and paranoia was to play up more of the the fact that Gene's father has is on one of these ships and, and they don't know what's going on. Like, I think that might have been a little bit more impactful if they would have played with that because it does feel like through a good portion of the movie, while I'm sitting there having fun in this movie about horror movies and, and all this, and these kids and, and everything else, in the back of my mind, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, I totally forgot that his dad was on one of these ships, and that I, even as a, I don't know, even as a movie fan, if the movie was coming to town, I'm, Gene is old enough that I'm not sure I'd care as much about the movies. I probably would be more worried about my dad and what's going on with my dad, and you kind of forget about the plot thread for movie because it's kids going to see a horror movie.
4: Yeah, some sort of, and maybe it should have been the character of Wolsey, making this happen, but some sort of explanation or providing some examples of how what he does is going to work and benefit others, right? Like how can he, let's say he goes to a supermarket in Key West and interacts with some people and does something there. And you know, he's trying to show how that fear can play into his hands. Right, and 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 I mean, the whole time he's got his what his girlfriend is it that's with him? I guess that's yeah. what she is, you know. And she seems to be kind of against him. I didn't quite understand their dynamic, but she seems to be kind of against him and what he's doing. Like, then let that be the opportunity to show her how his mind is working
1: mm-hmm.
4: and and. How or how real and surface level the fear is for a lot of people, and have a light bulb click for her so that it can click for us as well. Let her represent us and our skepticism with what he's doing, so we can get a better idea of the effect that he wants to have on the people. Because I just I, I don't know what effect he really wanted to have on the people during this time. I
0: think think the effect is he wanted to have the effect of people getting money in his pockets. Right. And not.
4: Well, that's the the takeaway that that's all we're left to think. And maybe that is all we're supposed to think. I don't know. But I just feel like, again, I'm going to circle back to my comment earlier. It's like, we just weren't given enough to really be able to come up with a sound conclusion of that. We just sort of kind of have to say, yeah, this is what we think it is.
0: Yeah. Well, and you know, John, it's interesting. That was the perfect, your example of don't look up that, I think that was the perfect example of what a movie in a pandemic area was like, because don't look up. I mean, yeah, it was about a meteor coming in and hitting the earth, but I I don't know. I, it seemed to be pretty much on the nose for, it wasn't about like a pandemic or some national or national, international disaster, worldwide disaster per se, the movie was about the human response to it. Right. Right. And I think that's where that one, I mean, that one right on the nose with just all the different responses that were shown. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and uh, you know, that, that's a different discussion for a different time, but like that's what that movie was about. Whereas something like, let me, let me see here movies that are either war movies about, certain military units and what they did in iraq and afghanistan and all that or you know even some of the movies like you know some of the other action movies that came out and at that time all kind of were in and around talking about the wars that our country was involved in i mean even of our you know television shows that you watched kind of mentioned the pandemic in some way shape or form right like like i remember i was watching blue bloods and you know they They never showed scenes where people were wearing masks and they were dealing with the pandemic, but they made reference to it, right? So those are just different ways that you can acknowledge current events. And I, again, I don't, I don't think Woolsey was making a movie in the same vein that like Don't Look Up was made, right? Like where he's commenting on the situation and he was commenting on the, the Cuban missile crisis or telling people like, well, this is the way that I think we should all get through it. I think he was just, he was just trying to entertain people. You know what I'm saying? He was just trying to get butts in seats and make money, which I got to be honest to me, that rang pretty, you know, that, that seemed to have some poignancy because what are we talking about now? Go big or go home, get people back in the theater. There's no way that my movie is going to be released on a streaming service and the theater it's going to the theater because that's where people should see movies you know i mean there's that whole push to try and get people back in the in the movie theaters to see the movies and that's kind of what he was doing right
3: yeah does it does it change anything I, that we've been talking about or does it does it bring a different context to it thinking that he's – i don't know if therapeutic is the right word but if he's looking at his if it's his mindset that my movies are therapeutic in that they scare people enough to distract them from the scary things that are going on in reality, but when you actually look at the theater, and especially because it's a matinee during the, what are we, early 1960s, and I think even still at that time, like the matinees, the the Saturday matinees and everything else, would have been attended, I don't want to say exclusively by children, but... It was pretty much, in a lot of ways, it was kind of the babysitting service. Like, parents would drop their kids off at the matinee, and it was, like, theaters full of children. And I think I read somewhere that at age 7 or 8, like, that was old enough that it was considered you were old enough to just be able to be dropped off at the, at the movie theater pretty much unsupervised because the idea was, well, the manager's going to watch them and the ushers and the, well, there's other kids there. So it really is children, that are just in this theater and not adults. Change anything
4: in what way?
3: Like, does that, if his whole idea is that we're trying to help people work through this fear, does that change anything that he's not? Because I, this movie is, it's a quote unquote horror movie, but the way he's to showcase it is not to adults. This whole movie is about the matinee, so it's almost fully for children. Does that change anything about his motivations, anything about anything we've done to this point, that it's seemingly geared exclusively towards children in this instance and not adults? I don't know. I I think it's it's up to
0: parents what kids should watch, not the movie maker. I mean... Filmmakers are going to make their films and, you know. So if he's. Of, yeah. If if he's.
4: If he's focusing on the kids as being his audience. Then. How is capitalizing on the fear of the Cuban missile crisis going to help him? Because how many kids are truly going to have that fear?
3: I'm wondering if it's if it's because kids don't fully understand what's going on, they just understand the anxiety and fear they see in the adults around them. I I only say that because I know my dad had told several times he was living in Dallas at the time all of this was going on, and he would have been uh seven years old, maybe eight years old at the time, and he remembers doing some duck and cover drills under their desks and, you know, because he was in Dallas and so obviously that's kind of within range of the missiles. And I remember him saying that he, he vividly remembers doing those drills, but he mostly just remembered how scared the adults were. And, like, that's really all that he remembered about that time. So I'm, if, I'm wondering if this is a distraction for the kids and... It's less about the Cuban Missile Crisis and more about, wow, the adults seem really scared. I don't understand everything that's going on here. It's way more complicated than what my kid brain can comprehend. People are scared, and I don't fully understand it. And this guy is coming in and providing, I think that just providing over, a service.
4: I think it just overcomplicates the whole thing. Okay. And I can't imagine running the business that he's running. Thinking that layered about it. Yeah. Especially since it gets, not talking about capitalizing nationwide. It's, it's, it's this theater here this weekend and then next weekend, it's another theater somewhere else. Like you, I, I feel as though your business model needs to be very general yeah, so that it, it can be easily apply next place you go. Oh, if you tear
3: up a theater every time, that's not sustainable.
2: (laughs) It'll play hell with the carpet.
3: That carpet really pulled that theater together. It did. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
4: so, I mean, I, I don't
3: know. Well, I did want to share before I, before we wrap up and, and get to our three questions, I did want to a couple of other kind of interesting little trivia things I found about Mr. William Castle, who was kind of the real life Woolsey, the things that he did. Have you guys seen any of his movies that he did? Like some of those old B horror movies? Maybe. maybe, maybe? Yeah. So there were some B- I do not I don't, I'd have to,
4: I'd have to see a list of them.
3: Yeah. He did like House on Haunted Hill. He did a movie called Homicidal. He did uh, Macabre. He did The Tingler, which is probably one of the ones he's most well known for. But a couple of things. The Tingler was, I would imagine, where they got some of the ideas for this movie. He would have the buzzers kind of installed in seats in movie theaters to buzz at particular times to kind of enhance the jump scares and things like that that would be in the movie. He had a version, I feel like there's Several different versions of a movie called Thirteen Ghosts, and he had a bunch of. For that, it was it was like, um, oh, war movies and westerns and things like that. But he really horror stuff. Apparently, when he was I want to say like twelve years old, he was working at a and they were doing live production of the part on stage, and so he got to meet Bella Lugosi. And Bella Lugosi, like they kind of, he thought this kid was pretty knowledgeable. This kid really kind of knows his stuff. And so he actually helped get it arranged so that he became the, I want to say he became the director of the live production by the time he was 17 or 18. Old. Lugosi kind of, you know, gave him a, a little bit of it there and then helped him get into the movie industry. And supposedly that got him hooked on the whole acting on horror movies and, and kind of his love for that. Sounds like he worked a little bit for Orson Welles as maybe like a, a second director on some of his movies, some pickup shots and, and some other, you know, so he was kind of, he was already in with a couple of pretty famous people, but one of his things was the gimmicky part of the whole thing. It was the using the, the buzzers in seats. He did some things that movie. he did several times. He would show up at the beginning of his movie and say things like, well, folks, thanks for coming to my movie, just so that every person who sees this movie has been insured by Lloyd's of London for a $1,000 event of accidental death because of fright because of fright we have vouchers and there will be an intermission or we're calling it a fright break in the middle of the movie and if you're too scared to continue on there is a portion in the back of the th- the coward turn your certificate in and, and like he would do all these things like these announcements at the beginning of the movie you know if you just to be aware you may feel a tingle at the back of your neck a scream at just the right time will help relieve you and if you don't scream at just the right time, you might. And, like, he would do all of these kind of announcements at the beginning of his movies before you'd, before we'd even, just a kind of bit of anticipation. He was kind of well-known as as being the gimmicky B-movie horror director. So he was pretty well-known for a bunch of that stuff. I think he even, I'm surprised, and you talk about cancel culture, I'm surprised today he would totally get sued if he did half of what he did in a lot of these announcements, because he would say, like, if you ruin the, this, your friends might kill you. And if they don't, I will. I'm like, good Lord, man. Like, that's a in 2022, 2023, that's a lawsuit waiting to happen. Like, you don't know, you're going to give away the end of the movie. But yeah, no, it, it kind of sounds like he was people do that on, on social media all the time. Well, that's true. It's true I guess. So he would have fit in well then. Yeah, I think it yeah, he probably would have fit in very well. Yeah. Spoiler alerts.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> but yeah, apparently he uh, he and Hitchcock were buddies at one point. Actually, Hitchcock saw some of the stuff that he did in his movies and he's like, "Oh, that's cool. I'm going to try some of that. I might throw some of that in one of my movies." So they kind of had a little little back and forth with, either, with each other. Yeah, it kind of makes me want to go back and watch some more of, uh, find some of the movies that he did and, and watch some of those just to get a B-horror B movie fix. All right, before we go into our three questions, anybody got anything else, anything to say about this one? No,
1: I don't think so. Okay. Well, I think we covered it.
3: Yeah. It has some, I in my opinion, it's a fun movie. It's got some dangling thread doesn't quite uh, follow through with or pick up on. But I for me when I watched it as a kid and when I watch it today, like it it reminds me of some of the reasons why I enjoy those crazy old horror movies and monster movies and I just it really makes me wish that they had a full length version of Mant cuz I would love to see it. <laughs> Maybe I'll dress up as the Mant for Halloween this year. Maybe. Hey, yeah. <laughs>
1: asks
3: each traveller three questions
1: three it's impossible to answer
3: impossible because you don't know the nobody could answer that question I want to ask you a bunch of questions I want to have them answered immediately
0: what you just said is one of the most insanely at no point in your rambling incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought everyone in this room is now dumber for having
3: listened to it, I award you no points. God have mercy on your soul. All right. Three questions. Number one What is, oh, I, my window here with my questions just closed on me. Look okay. up again. What movie made you fall in love with the concept of filmmaking?
4: I'd like to reject your question.
3: Jeff just did your question. There you go.
2: <laughs> I mean, there, there.
4: God, how many of us can actually answer this question easily?
2: He didn't say it was going to be easy, but I'm I'm with you. I can cheat and and give you so many, and yet.
3: Go ahead, Bo. Go ahead, John. No, no. You seem to have a a thought. I I I was agreeing with
2: rejection of your thoughts. Yeah.
3: So I have three movies that I know I can kind of point to, and I would say my three movies are. Star Wars, Count of Monte Cristo, no, not Count of Monte Cristo, I'm not going to do that one. Star- no, actually I will do this. Star Wars, The Count of Monte Cristo, and The Matrix. And the reason why it's those is because I feel like on TV or VHS tape, check out from the library, there were the kind of behind the scenes, like making of... Type stuff that you could get for the Star Wars movies. And it was like the making of an empire was one that they did at one point, and there was always behind the scenes stuff that they were those. The Rocketeer did that too. I remember there was a whole featurette on the Rocketeer that was on TV at one point. What was it? Excitement in the air or something like that was what it was called. But then I remember getting my first DVDs, and one of my first DVDs I, I got the movie Blake Count of Monte Cristo, and I remember when I got those DVDs, I was like, a "Minute, I can watch the movie, but then there's another disc, another." section on this DVD that has a making of documentary or it's got commentary that I can turn on. And I think it was like those were some of the earliest ones where I actually got to dive more into the behind-the-scenes, the, the making-of kind of stuff, really getting to see some of the, you know, here's the production art, here's the, you know, we'll talk to the sound guy, and how do they put the sounds together? The Matrix was another one, like getting to see some of those documentaries when that came out of how do they do the bullet-time photography, you know, all that stuff. So I, I would say Star Wars definitely because there were a lot of kind of making-of things that you could pick up along the way. But then Count of Monte Cristo was one of my first DVDs, and then this because I just I remember seeing all of the behind-the-scenes deals and just... That coupled with occasionally you'd also catch like the, the making of Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade. I was like, well, okay, I get to see it and see them move the cameras around into the actors. And all right, this is pretty cool. So I, I could just say Star Wars because that would probably be the earliest example. I could definitely the three or four other movies, especially when DVDs first came out and they had the extras, any discs with extras on them. Like that was, that was pure gold.
1: Well, what do you
2: got? It's so tough. I guess it's probably similar to John's saying DVD, the making of them. I mean, I made a 7th or 8th grade, a little quasi-motion film with in, in a class. So I had obviously thought about it by then. So that's what makes it hard. Like that was right when DVDs were coming out. So obviously something before that sort of triggered an interest, but
0: gosh, I couldn't tell you what it is to save my life. question is, what made you interested? Like, which films you interested in making movies?
1: What movie made you fall in love with the concept of filmmaking?
0: Hmm. I don't know if I'm ever interested in filmmaking. I think I was always interested in the product. <laughs> <Which> I, <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? So, that's, that, that's, which is, I guess, is just what we're all saying is that the hard thing to answer. I guess. I suppose any of like, any of the, anything that was John, by John Williams or James Horner, right? There you like, go. Because I mean, you're, you're fascinated with those concepts of, and that's a fascination that goes now, the more you read about what it takes to write music for a movie and all that. And you, you, you can't just write what you want, you got to write what else wants. And then you have everyone. So I guess it's it's that, like the idea of, of making the music movie would have an effect and then and then I gotta be honest like any movies that have real interesting or elaborate like chases or action sequences or fight scenes or something like that like
3: hey everybody just a real quick note so as you could probably tell kind of throughout the episode we were having audio glitches and it just it kind of kept getting worse and worse and so you will notice a little bit change in the quality especially from the end of Bo and Pat and Jeff Because I am still here on my microphone, but I had to patch everybody in through a four-way fall. So I've got everybody on the phone right now. This is prime emergency podcasting at its best, is basically what it is.
1: This is something, man. I'm I'm excited to be a part of it.
3: We've really spared no expense to make. We can finish the last two-thirds of three questions. So, All right, so question number two. What is your go-to movie theater snack? Yes, is your answer? Yes, I appreciate that answer.
1: Go, actually, my go-to, my, for a while, my go-to is snow caps. Oh yeah, mm, old school. I, I have to say, more give me pretzel bites or a big hot pretzel or something like that. And I, I I love me some pretzels, so
3: oh yeah,
1: I'm good good to go with that, and and a cup of science based cheese sauce and.
2: Yeah, the the image, cheese a necessity with a large bowl.
3: Mm-hmm, absolutely. As the one guy at the apartment building says in the Blues Brothers, you're me my cheese whiz, boy? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, while I do love
2: a hot pretzel in most scenarios at the movie theater, it is movie theater popcorn and uh, those junior mints, and you pour the junior mints in the popcorn.
3: Mm-hmm that's an interesting combination oh I
0: think we were having I think we were having audio issues can you, before before when you're writing this it's more than just dumping them in there there has to be a certain churn ball well
2: when the popcorn is a little warm so it's better then it's just sort of melt just a little bit it's uh, it's quite the experience it can be done with milk duds as well but I do enjoy the junior mints better
1: so okay. do, do you do you shake the popcorn yep. container to get the the junior mints who migrate downward or like that you is, just stick your hand in and like mix it around but a little bit of you
2: only have to take a layer or two of popcorn off because you know they still up with these days and then you get them in there and you shake it a little but you can't shake it too much or they all end up on the bottom there's definitely an art to getting the the mix right ideal scenario if it was a fill your own popcorn but you'd sort of do them at the same time but that is mm. rarely an option you have to you have to get creative Sometimes, I, once a couple of layers are down, you dig a little hole on the side, you pour them in, and that gets them far down. And then that little that mint flavor once in a while is just
3: fantastic. Hmm. All right. It's interesting.
1: As long as you enjoy that bow, that's all that matters.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not as much. I, I'll take a mint flavor every once in a while, just on its own, but I'm not as much of a, a mint fan, so I don't know that I'll be mm. partaking of that. Nora would do it, like no little friend that will dump dunk eggs cream. Nice. So I think she'd totally take advantage. Of it. I'll have to mention it to her the next time we go to a movie. Good stuff. Mm-hmm. My favorite is a uh, an MLT, a nice mutton, lettuce, and tomato. is nice and lean, and the tomato is ripe. They're so perky. I love those. My actual answer would be a bucket of corn drenched in butter and Coke of some kind
1: traditionalist. I like it. My needs yeah, are,
3: I got to admit. My needs are simple.
0: I I, I, gotta, I am old school as well. I'm pop because I never want to run out and have to go to the bathroom. Mm. So I normally don't do any like drinks and all that kind of stuff. But if I, I want, because I hardly drink soda ever, but I have to have ice in it. And that's just a weird thing. Mm-hmm. And I guess saying this, it would be a weird thing to not have ice in a drink that you get from a fountain so just strike that last comment from the record, but yeah, it's just popcorn.
3: In England, they don't put a lot of ice in their in their pop.
0: Yeah, I can't like it's. I think it's like impossible. Yeah. Like if I try to drink pop without ice in it, 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 like it pours outside my lip and I did
3: it all over myself and everything. I need
0: to have in my drink.
3: All right, ladies and gents, I apologize. I am going to have to cut it off there. You're going to miss. The answers to question number three from our three questions. We just, when I went back to go edit everything, it sounded okay when we were recording, but I went back to go edit and the audio was just too corrupted. You can't really make out much of anything. We just were having all kinds of technical issues tonight. So it's going to be two questions this time around. And the question number three went into the ether where our original first episode got sucked into so it will uh, if if carol ann ever crosses over into the light maybe she can find our first few episodes and question number three of this one otherwise it was pretty much it was was highly intelligent i mean it's probably the best recording we've ever done but it was also highly unintelligible so wouldn't do you much good All right. So thank you for being with us once again. We've got some great stuff coming up here soon. We've got to see this one was episode number 450 for us. So next time is episode 451. We're talking about the movie Matinee starring John Goodman. Then we've got Free Willy, Dragon the Bruce Lee story. Our January Patreon episodes are The Outsiders from 83, Mr. Mom from 83, and Favorite Movies from 2022. Then in February, our Patreon is Favorite Love Songs of the 80s and 90s. We've got a couple of Patreon shorts. Once we nail those down, we'll let you know what those are. And then our regular episodes are Dave, Searching for Bobby Fischer, Benny and June, and Carlito's Way. So thank you, as always, for being here with us. If you want to leave a rating or just leave us a message, go to our website, 30podcast.com. You can do that there. From myself... Bo, Dennis, Jeff, Pat, thank you so much for being here with us. And we're looking forward to another great year with you as we march on through 1993. Everybody, be excellent to each other. Go watch some good movies. And we'll see you back here next time.